It's Wednesday, January 31st, 2024, and we are in Joshua chapter 10. What's that? The sun will stand still. Have you been looking at my notes? <clears throat> the title of tonight's Bible teaching is When the Sun Stood Still. So if somebody already knows, y'all been studying ahead. Good job. All right, so we have a whole lot of names, names of people, names of places. So do I have any volunteers that could read all these names for me? No? No volunteers? So uh, now uh, we're going to get into the part of this story where uh, all of these kings in, in Canaan, in the Promised Land, are going to start to come together to try to form an alliance to fight against this nation of Israel that's come in and has been whipping up on everybody. So, last week we talked about the uh, Gibeonites and how they had tricked Joshua and the nation of Israel into making a league or covenant, an agreement. They have... Uh, they, they, so Joshua was tricked into making that agreement with them that they would protect them, not hurt them, allow them to live, and they were from just right over the hill. Very, very close. If you look at the map, um, where they come across the Jordan River, you're right above the Dead Sea. And something that we need to notice as we're reading all this, every time they have a victory or a defeat, they always go back to Gilgal. And you'll notice that over and over again, that they go here, they battle, and then they go back to Gilgal. And I think there's a reason behind it. Uh, as we are walking through our Christian walk, we're, we're uh, traveling along, we have hills, high, high points, and we have valleys, low points, in our Christian walk. It's, it's, it's not all walking up on the hills all the time, looking down at the beautiful views. We go down in the valleys as well. And it can get dark down in those valleys. It can be tough walking to get up, climbing up out of those valleys. The Christian walk is not easy because we have uh, principalities. We have these... Uh, the spiritual warfare is going on and is coming against us to try to keep us from entering into the promises God has made to us. All the things that we have available to us, there are enemies that come against it and are trying to keep us from getting to those things. So, uh, new Christians see it. They, they come out of the world. They start this new walk. And all of a sudden, there are things that come up against them to try to get them back to where they were and to give up on, on, on this thing, this Christian walk. Uh, this past Sunday kind of goes right along with this. You think about all of the uh, benefits of being a child of God, but 
when you, when you get down to that verse where most people stopped preaching and then and others were tortured and the whole list of thing, bad things that happened to the Christians in the first church, horrible things happened to them. And there were many who said they were part of the church that turned away, didn't want to go through those things. And it's not for us to judge if they were true or not, but the way the scripture is written, we can kind of tell and make a judgment on whether they were real, whether they really were believers or not. There's many people in the church that call themselves believers. They only have an intellectual knowledge of the things of the Bible. They never had a changed heart. Nothing real has happened, and they can go along for years and years and make it look like that they are they are true. They'll say the right words. They all know they know the religious uh, um, lingo. And when the really tough times come, they'll bail out because they were never really true to the faith. If they say they believe, you accept them as a brother and sister in Christ, and you work with them and you do things with them in the church, but you don't ever know for sure until the real testings come. Now, uh, and we, we see that all through the Scripture, especially in the New Testament. Uh, the second Peter, the second Corinthians, the second of whatever, it always seems to have watch out. Watch out for those people who are, um, you know, being portrayed as angels of light when really they are not. So warning, warning, warning. And when Je- right before Jesus left here, it was, there's going to be things that are going to happen. There's going to be other people who come who say they're Christ. And he said, if they say that, they're not real. Don't, don't fall for it. And he, he warned when he left. And uh, all right, let's just read, let's read a little bit out of Joshua 10. Now it came to pass... When Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, wow, we have a king of Jerusalem, but his name is Adonai Zedek, which means Lord of Righteousness, little l Lord. So Adonai, Adonai is a very special word. It's a it's a name of our Lord, and uh, but this so this guy is kind of representing to me. When I see that special name, he, he would be kind of like an antichrist. He's definitely a represent, representation of Satan, which the antichrist and Satan kind of go hand in hand. But he's king of Jerusalem. Now, we know that there was another king of Jerusalem before this king. I don't know how many years before, but his name was Melchizedek. And he was... That name is, uh, I, I think, King of Righteousness. He was, he was a king of the Most High. He was a very special king to where I, I sometimes will say, I think it was the Lord Jesus himself being a king in Jerusalem way back then, and he was Melchizedek. But he's definitely a type and picture of him. But when you read about Melchizedek having no 
father, no mother, no beginning, no end, this, all that, and you're thinking, that just sounds like it's describing Jesus. So whether it really was pre-incarnate uh, Jesus, I'm not sure, but there was a Melchizedek, and we know about him. We read about him in uh, Hebrews. We read about him in Genesis. So this is uh, a different king of Jerusalem, and uh, this king of Jerusalem had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. Now, when a place makes peace with Israel, or let's say you come to Jesus, you've so-called made peace with your Lord. Well, nobody ever makes peace with their Lord. He's already made the peace, and then you believe on Him. So, in a sense... You, all right, so you come to the Lord, and Satan notices. Just like here, this, this, uh, this place, the inhabitants of Gibeon have made a covenant with the children of Israel, and this evil king of Jerusalem takes notice. And he wants to attack them and teach them a lesson, and maybe he wants to teach other peoples around that area that if you make a league with this nation of Israel, this is what's going to happen to you. So, he gets with some other kings. Oh, and remember I was talking about Gilgal? Gilgal is the name Gilgal, which is the place they keep going back to, right? After every battle, the nation of Israel. It's the place of self-judgment. It's the place where they circumcised every male the circumcision, and it's a representation of the flesh being circumcised away from our spirit so that we can live a spiritual life and not a fleshly life. And every, as we're walking through this Christian walk, we need to always, as we, as we go up against different battles and different things we do, we need to always get back to Gilgal. Self-judgment and knowing that that is where we that we need to camp there. Camp in the fact that we are new creatures in Christ. The old man has been done away with. We need to make sure that we, don't, we do not forget and leave our first love, which is Jesus. So remember to go back to Gilgal. Go back to what that represents. Uh, verse 2. Wow, that was a long verse 1 that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, king of Hebron. Now, most people say Hebron. Now, it's the, notice it's the Hebrews... I think this is supposed to be pronounced Hebron. You agree? Hebron. I've always seemed to hear it Hebron. I think that's what I've heard people say when they've read Scripture. So Hebron. And unto Piram, king of Jarmoth, and unto Japhiah, 
king of Lachish, and unto Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me and help me, that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmoth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their host, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. Again, if you look at the map and you see where the, where the nation of Israel had come over, if you, if you have a map, a lot of Bibles have maps at the end, and you can go back and you can look and see uh, where all these places are. You, you'll, you'll probably have a map that shows where all the tribes you know, inherited land in the Promised Land. You'll see where uh, Reuben, on the east side of the Jordan, you'll see Reuben down at the bottom, and then Gad right above it, and then the half-tribe of Manasseh above that to the north. And when you go across the Jordan, you'll see where all the other tribes, you'll see where the east or, or the, the, the west side of Manasseh uh, is right across from Gad. Uh, and you can, you, can, you can see where these cities are as well. And Gilgal, evidently they don't know the exact place because anytime you, I've seen, it's a question mark beside it. That this, is, this may be, we know it was within sight of uh, Jericho. So it's really close to Jericho. And you have Old Testament Jericho, New Testament Jericho, and then you can see Gibeon right past all that. You see Ai right past that. And you see Bethel. Bethel's like two miles to the west of Ai. And when we were talking about the Battle of Ai, uh, we noticed while we were reading that that there was people who came out of Bethel. It seemed like they were coming over to try to help Ai. And it looks like uh, there were at least 5,000 men who were stationed to where they could head off anybody coming from there. It's, it, it's a little bit puzzling as you do, if you just read right through it and you don't get any really good details. So, but you see all of these places there. And then you can see where Jerusalem is, very close to Gibeon. And then all these other places were to come and gather up and fight against them. So they, they, made, they encamped before Gibeon and made war against, against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended. They had to go up. You know, it's way harder to go up to a place quickly than go down. You'd rather go down. You know, uh, where, where I grew up uh, makes me think of where I grew up, which was in your house. And my, my two best friends, one lived way up past y'all's house at the very end of Cove Hall Road, all the way at the very end. And my other good friend was cross 460 up, up behind here, up in Campbell Hills, way up at the top. And when I had to go to their houses, it was tough getting there. 
And then we would play, hike, play football, all this. And we'd be plumb wore out at the end of the day. But I had a downhill ride all the way to my house. It was awesome. Now, if either one of them was at my house and we did all that all day long, they had to jump on their bikes and ride all the way uphill. They hated it. At the end of every day, they were at my house. They were always like, come to my house, come to my house. So I was always going to their house, but I had a nice uh, downhill ride either time, either way I went. So notice it says Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. Now, by now, after the mistakes, he's made some mistakes. And when he hears this, he's got to be like, that is awesome. That is words I want to hear. We've got this. For I, this is God, the Lord, talking to Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up. We've already seen ascended. Now we see have gone up from Gilgal all night. So they're going at nighttime. So they can get there. By the next morning, going uphill, they're going to be kind of wore out when they get there. But why do they even do this? Why do they put forth this effort? Uh, the Lord has just said to them, Fear not, for I have delivered them into thy hand. So why bother? Why, why go through this extra effort? It's already done. Or is it? When you show up for the battle, are you going to fight at all? Or are you just going to pull out your little chairs and sit down and go, well, the Lord's going to take care of this for us? Huh. Even though the Lord has said, I have given you the victory, they are still going out and going uphill in a hurry to get there quicker, sooner than later, to help these people that have called for them for help. And they were originally their enemy, but they wised up enough, the Gibeonites had wised up enough to say, we need to be with them. Now, now these, these Gibeonites, uh, uh, later on, King Saul tried to wipe them out, and he got punished for that. There was, uh, when, you, when you look at David, uh, I can't remember the name they had, um, Shenaneth? It was, a, it was a certain name that they were given, and they were servants, and they were given to the, Levi, the Levites. So when they came back from Babylon, they, they came with them. There's a, when you're in, I believe it's in Ezra, when they're talking about all the, you talk about Ezra, the details of all the numbers of people to the very number. It's not like, oh, about 300 of them or about 500 of them, it gives you the exact number of the servants, Solomon's servants or David's servants and all the people that come, and it's exact numbers. I, I know it's in Ezra 8, there's, a, there's the name of these people, and then there's, in, I believe it's in 4, but it just has, it tells you how many of these people came back. 
So they had been servants for the nation of Israel for a very long time, and it was a great move on their part. Now, they were servants, though. They were servants. But that was better than being dead. They would, their people would have died and been totally eliminated off the face of the earth if they had not made that league with, the, with Joshua. Joshua is determined to protect them, even though they, they tricked him, but they're part of them now. So he's going to go out and he's going to protect them. Ten, and the Lord discomforted them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them to Azekah and unto Machedah. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah, and they died. They, they were more which died with hailstones. These are hailstones coming down out of the sky, so big that when they hit the people, it killed them. And it says that more died from the hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. We already saw it was a great slaughter, and then they are running away from them. And I guess these hailstones were either, uh, they were discriminating. Or maybe it was like the thunderstorms you see. I mean, when a really bad thunderstorm comes through, your neighbor could get hail so bad that it knocks down all their corn in the garden and puts dents in their cars, and you didn't get any of it. You, we, see, we see that a lot, especially with hail. In a certain place, there will be, it'll be coming down like crazy, but then you, you over here didn't get any at all, and you're right next to them. So that, evidently what happened here. But then God has got a really good aim. When you call down the artillery, he knows where you are, and he knows where the enemy is, and he puts it right on them. So we shouldn't be shocked by that at all. Verse 12, Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, that's S-U-N, the sun that is in the sky, he said, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. Ajalon. Now, of course, the sun's just not going to stand still just because you tell it to, right? It's not going to do that. That would be crazy. 13, and the sun stood still. What? And the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of, and the way this is supposed to be pronounced is Jasher. Uh, Jasher is what I would normally say, but I got this pronunciation Bible out, and it says Jasher. So where's the book of Jasher? <coughs> Where is it? it? It's written there. Nobody's ever, nobody knows. 
No one knows where this book is. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. Now, you know that these uh, people who came up against Gibeon, all these, all these uh, kings and all these soldiers, now they're getting whipped, they're getting hit with hailstones, and they're probably running around going, I cannot wait for this day to end. Ah, uh, just nightfall will be here before long, and we'll be able to hide, and we'll be able to escape this. Next thing you know, they're going, is this day ever going to end? And it doesn't. For another whole day, it doesn't end. And the, 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 the Joshua and all of his soldiers, they have been up all night long, probably the day before, and then they're going, all right, let's go to bed. Joshua's like, no, we've got a message from the Gibeonites. And they're like, so what? They're the Gibeonites. He's like, nope, we made a league with them. We got to protect them, and we got to get there quick. But, but it's, it's uphill all the way there. Yeah, I know. Come on, let's get it going. And they are up all night long getting there. They fight all day the next day, and then the day won't end. The sun, all right, so, you know, we know that the sun really isn't moving. Hopefully we know that. It looks like it is. Now, from our perspective, it looks like the sun is going across the sky. And then in the evening, when it starts to go down, it seems like it really starts moving fast, right? You'll see a beautiful sunset. We'll take a picture, enjoy it, because it's not going to be there long. Because once it gets down over there and gets close to the mountaintops, it's like it's going down fast. You can see how quick it's moving. Well, it's really the earth moving. The sun is kind of sitting there and everything's going around the sun, right? And the earth is spinning. Now there's a scripture in, in uh, our Bible that said the earth stood still or stand still or something like that. But I don't think it's talking about, because people will say, well, the Bible says the earth is not moving, it's still. But in that verse, if it's the verse I'm thinking of, it talks about the earth twice. And it talks about the earth as what we live on. And then the second time it says the earth and it stood still, it's, I think it's talking about the people of the earth, that they weren't doing anything. They were just kind of not doing anything. I'm pretty sure. But we know that the earth is spinning and it's moving through our universe at a very fast speed. So, the sun stood still, which means the earth quit rotating in actuality. That's what happened. Well, let me read you something that Adrian Rogers wrote years ago. He's in his uh, legacy Bible. Adrian Rogers commenting on this. This is what he says. There's not a story in all the Bible that has been more ridiculed than Joshua's long day. The day God made the sun stand still. 
Some say this story disproves the authenticity of the Bible, but in a strange and glorious way, it underscores the reliability, infallibility, and factuality of the Word of God. All of God's plans, promises, and prophecies were hinging on this strategic battle in Joshua 10. The battle was the beginning of the end for the Canaanites, but Joshua needed more time. And so Joshua the general prophetically said, Sun, stand still, moon, be still, and time seemed to freeze. The sun stopped its coursing through the heavens, the moon stopped its setting, the day was extended, and God gave a mighty victory to his people. God does not operate according to the laws of nature. Nature operates according to the laws of God. And astronomers can prove the validity of what is taught here in the Word of God. As they calculate backward to that day, they find that there's a day missing somehow. Records of ancient astronomical events prove there was a long day. And ancient cultures also testify to this day, from the Chinese to the Incas, the Aztecs, the Babylonians, the Persians, and the Egyptians. God has written this miracle forever in the stars. Joshua's long day teaches us about the authenticity of God's Word. It displays God's, God's tender care and His power to act on behalf of His people. But it also reminds us to redeem our days. The Bible says there has been no day like that before it or after it. That tells us that God is not going to stop the sun again. He's not going to prolong time anymore. And then he says, the sun that is in your eyes right now is going to set. Jesus Christ said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. That's out of John 9, 4. The night is coming. God, God's not going to stop that sun from setting what you're going... What you're going to do for Jesus, you better get it done before your golden opportunities have slipped away into the sunset. Adrian Rogers, the day the sun stood still. So it's in, it's in history. You can go back and look at the history of the Egyptians, all those people, that Babylonia, all those people who, who were so smart and knew all kinds of information, kept records, they had record of that and their history, that there was a day that just wouldn't end. <clears throat> Verse 14, And there was no day like that before it, I, yeah, I just read that out of what Adrian Rogers said, no, before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. But these five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave at Machedah. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings are found hid in a cave at Machedah. And Joshua said, Roll great stones upon the mouth of the cave and set men by it for to keep them. For to keep them. For the purpose of. When you see the word for, it's for the purpose of, to keep them. And stay ye not, but pursue after your enemies, 
and smite the hindmost of them, suffer them not to enter into their cities, for the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hand. And it came to pass when Joshua and the children of Israel had made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they were consumed, that the rest which remained of them entered into fenced cities. Now, you've got to remember, this is, this is five different kings and their people. The amount of people that we're talking about is very, very great. And even though they were doing a good job in defeating them and the hailstones were killing them as well, and they were still so many that they were trying to catch them before they got an extra whole day to do it. But even at that, there were still people that were going to get away. And that's what happened. And they finally reached uh, these fenced cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Machedah in peace. None moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then said Joshua, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. And they did so and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmoth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war, which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. Now, you've probably seen an image of... Uh, it's, the coat of arms, different things for different states, and then there will be a picture of someone over top of their enemy and their foot is on their neck. What's that? Virginia? Okay. So that's something we have adopted from the Bible. When you, when you defeat your enemy, the tyrants, and you put your foot... Now also think about the prophecy out of Genesis 3.15. The heel of the seed of the woman will be bruised on the head of the serpent. So we can see that as well here. 25. Now this is awesome words that Joshua say unto his people. Wonderful words. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Now that's what the Lord has said to him a long time before. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of Good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. And afterward Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. So the uh, five kings were killed, and they hung them up, and they hung there till right before nightfall and took them down. And it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded and they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid and laid great stones in the cave's mouth, which remaineth until this very day. So there's another monument. Now we're seeing monuments being built all through this story. From in Deuteronomy and now into Joshua, we see these things happening. And that day Joshua took Machita 
and smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof he utterly destroyed them and all the souls that were therein, and let none remain. And he did to the king of Machedah as he did unto the king of Jericho. Now, the rest of this down through here, it's going to say the same thing over and over again about each one of these five kingdoms. So, I've already read this multiple times. If you want to read every word in Joshua, then you, and you may have already done it, but you can read this for yourself. I don't want to go over, I don't want to say this over and over and over again. But insert kingdom and king and all the way over to 40. And over at 40, So Joshua smote all the country of the hills and of the south and of the vale and of the springs and all their kings. He left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea even unto Gaza and all the country of Goshen. Now that's not the Goshen down in Egypt. It's a different one even unto Gibeon. And so all of what you just saw right there is all on the southern side. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time. Now, if they had not been tricked by the Gibeonites, they would have, Gibeon probably would have been the next people to fall. They would have went in and, and wiped out that great city. And then they probably would have went to Jerusalem, and then they probably would have went to, you know, Eglon and, and all these other places. They would have taken them out individually. Because the Gibeonites made a league with them, tricked them into having an agreement with them, that made all of these nations come together and one big battle took place. Now, you can look at that as it would have been much easier to fight them one at a time. So that was a bad thing. Or you can look at it as uh, because all these people came together at one time, they wiped them all out in one big battle. So that was a good thing. But it took a miracle of hailstones. It took a miracle of the sun not setting and giving a whole other day to do all that. Well, I mean, it's, it's wonderful that we get those miracles. And, and those miracles are true. And there are plenty of people who try to discount the miracles. Theologians, uh, or people who are critical of the Bible, of course they would, but they want to say that none of this stuff really happened the way it said, and it's probably this, that, and the other. It's just like Jonah being swallowed by a whale. Well, you know, it's just uh, really didn't happen. It happened. If the Bible says it happened, have a childlike faith and believe it for what it says because it did happen exactly the way the Bible said. So, uh, and all these kings and their land did Joshua take at one time. Because of that Gibeonite uh, league that they made. It was able to do it all at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. And Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, unto the camp to Gilgal. 
They keep going back there. We've seen it over and over and over again. Now, that's chapter 10, and we even skipped a whole bunch of verses, but there's 43 verses here in this chapter. I don't normally like to skip any words. I, will, I, I like to be able to get through something like this and say we read every single word, but Joshua is very, now that we've gotten to this point, it's very tough to read every bit of it. And it's actually from here on, once you get past this story of the sun standing still, until you get to probably 22, 23, 24, you're probably not going to see any sermon preached in a church going back to who knows when. You can go to the bookstore and you can find sermons that Spurgeon did and... and uh, McLaren and all these, Jonathan Edwards, all these preachers from years gone by, I doubt you will ever see a sermon from any of those people in this portion of Scripture right here. When I open up my, my Charles Spurgeon study Bible, and it's got those notes at the bottom and everything, and you get to this point in that Bible, all the way over to probably chapter 20, there's nothing. In my Schofield Bible hardly anything at the bottom of the pages for notes. It's just not very preachable, but it's important because it's there. So we need to read it. Because even though it may not be the funnest thing to read about and to preach about, it's still God's Word. <coughs> so we'll stop there. And then uh, chapter 11 will be about another group of kings that are going to come together to try to fight them. And I believe they're going to be from the northern side. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this wonderful story of Joshua and the, the way that you help your people fight their battles. And Father, sometimes we do need miracles. And Father, we're so glad that you have given us examples of impossible situations that you make possible. And Father, I just pray that we would be a people who would be very willing and motivated to go out and do what you've called us to do. Father, that we would not be a people who sit back and wait for you to do, uh, for you to do everything for us, but that we would be wanting to go out and do your will, knowing that you have gone before us and have paved the way but, Father, you want relationship, and, Father, we want to go with you in this battle and this walk that we're on. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.